What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 73rd draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Matt, it's TIFF Talk 2020, but it's a very different version of TIFF Talk. God, I can't believe it's here already. It seems only yesterday uh, that we were, you know, doing TIFF Talk uh, 2019, you know, out on the festival street or even our, our preview shows and things like that. I can't believe it's almost August. Um, we're only, you know, a, a quick month away from the festival or what will be the festival this year. It is the festival. Um, but yeah, a bit of a weird year, um, a bit of a weird festival, it looks like, uh, a bit of a weird lineup, and we will get into that today. Yeah. Uh, for those of you listening, um, this will be a little bit of a different episode. If you're familiar with our TIFF episodes last year, it'll be pretty similar to that. So it's going to be very TIFF-focused today. Uh, we're only going to be talking about the TIFF 2020 lineup, the 50 films that they announced today for the uh, this year's festival. Um, we'll do our regular show in the 74th draft. You'll be getting that very, very soon. I know Eric and I have been a little sporadic in how we've been dropping things. Uh, I'm in the process of a move right now. Um, there's lots going on in, in both of our lives. So we're trying to get you guys out episodes uh, when we can and when there's breaking news and things like that, as well as reviews. Uh, you guys can check out Untitled Movie Reviews, where we have a bunch of new reviews for everything that's come out you know, uh, during um, quarantine and COVID and, and everything that's on streaming services, everything from stuff like that's on Netflix or that you can premium VOD. Uh, we'll have reviews soon for things like American Pickle, uh, She Dies Tomorrow, um, uh, uh, a couple other things, but, uh, check out, uh, uh, untitled movie reviews for those. But yes, today we are focusing on TIFF talk 2020, Eric, um, we haven't talked about TIFF much, um, because there hasn't been uh, much we, to talk about yeah, really. We, we knew, I mean, we did an episode where we talked to kind of about the layoffs and everything. And then they did an announcement of, you know, the opening night film and, and a few or not the opening night film. Then it was uh, 10 films that they were going to have and, and their plans on the festival and how they were going to do a mix of um, digital, uh, physical and drive-in screenings, as well as some kind of industry stuff online with some, you know, uh, and TIFF ambassadors and things like that. Uh, since then, they've announced their opening night film, um, which is the uh, Spike Lee, uh, David Byrne documentary, correct? Yes, um, David Byrne's Utopia. Yes. And then uh, they announced 10 films. And then today we got the entire 50 film list for this year's festival. So one of the announcements was they were going to cap this year's festival at 50 films, um, as well as sharing a bunch of films with uh, studios like uh, not studios, festivals like Venice, New York, um, things like that. So, and even Telluride, um, which is canceled, is having a sponsored uh, screening of uh, Nomenland, uh, which is yes. going to be very interesting as well. And I just want to quickly mention, um, we were talking about it before recording, but the uh, slogan for this year's festival is a very confusing <laughs> one. Uh, comedies, comedy, dramas, docs, and ones that make you ugly cry are all to be continued. Yeah, I don't know if that's like the tagline or that's just like the festival creative, uh, I guess, in general. Um, yeah, uh, not my favorite, I'd say. Um, it's unf- I don't even know if we're going to get a physical book this year. And I, I don't know if you collect them, but I, I, I do. Um, yeah. 
I think you do. Yeah. And our, mm-hmm. our friend Mike Munz does as well. And um, I have every from every festival I've been to and as well as the 1989 festival, just because that was the year I was born. Um, so I have no idea if that creative will show up on a uh, on a program book this year. I don't know a lot uh, about what's going to happen this year. I mean, we do know a little. We know this lineup. We know they're planning on doing physical screenings, which I still cannot fathom. Um, but it seems like it's going to happen or they're going to try. Um, but Eric, what are your thoughts in general, um, on TIFF this year and everything, you know, we've learned. I, I, it's a weird year for everyone, but what, what are your thoughts on TIFF 2020? You know what? Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation to have because part of me is still enthusiastic that TIFF is happening in some shape or form. And I really like, sort of the camaraderie and the partnership that TIFF has, you know, forged with other festivals, fall festivals to kind of come together and put aside any differences of what movie premieres at which festival first to actually say, you know what, we're doing this for the benefit of, you know, what we are as an organization and sharing that with the rest of the film community. I think that's very admirable in in the approach part of me as well is 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 a little bit underwhelmed just not necessarily with the lineup but just how there was always this excitement in in years past where you know each week or each every couple of weeks we would get you know an, an announcement or a build up to an announcement of 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 films being uh announced and and that selection coming up you know whether the galas and special presentations would announce their first, you know, 25 to 50 films. And then a couple weeks later we would get docs and midnight madness. There was something that was really exciting about all of that. And that has been kind of taken away fully this morning. When you texted me that the full lineup was announced, there was this weird feeling of one, you were interrupting me during my random acts <laughs> of violence. Bio. But as soon as I went back, to it after I had finished the, the the voiceover, I was kind of just feeling almost melancholy about the whole thing. And I think also this is the, the first year that I've been disappointed with TIFF just on a level of how they handled the layoffs. And again, I understand COVID-19 is something that has affected, you know, many parts of the industry, not only in film and in, in every aspect and every sector, but I think that also kind of dampered my spirits a little bit, and I'm sure you you feel the same. So, how, what was your initial kind of reaction overall? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you on all fronts. I mean, again, uh, I we've mentioned it over and over again, and I think if if you guys listen to any of our coverage the last you know two years uh, on, on TIFF, and even you know in the many years before that, we, Eric and I have both been going for you know over a decade to this festival. And our, our, I feel like my year always ends and begins with TIFF. It's like my Christmas. It's like what my whole year is kind of building up to. Um, it's my favorite time of the year. And I, I think melancholy is the, the perfect word that you used where I'm like, it's exciting that the lineup dropped and uh, I had no idea it was coming today. It was kind of just, you know, like a random album drop, like, Hey, here's the 50 films, uh, in a press release. And then they're all up online. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to miss what, and again, this is everything this year. I mean, my wedding got canceled or moved. I mean, there's tons of change and things getting, so I get, we're not, everyone's in the same boat, but it's with my wedding and with TIFF, um, Ironically, those things are closely <laughs> linked, I guess. Um, it just feels weird that it, it it's 
I don't know. It just it, it's upsetting that it's we're not going to get you know Tiff as we know it this year, and and they're trying their best, and I applaud them for it, and I'm glad that you know they found a way to do digital screenings, and um, I, I'm sure when we talk about the lineup, that might have affected some of their choices and some of the things that they put into the festival, um, but I. I it, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to kind of tackle it in whatever way we end up tackling it. And, um, I, it is a little upsetting. Um, but nonetheless, like I, I'm curious to see how this all pans out and I'm curious to go through this lineup. Cause I haven't really even gone, you know, really deep into it. I kind of took a glance over the lineup this morning as I was working um, and I haven't really gone in. So it'll be fun to kind of discuss this with you. Um, As for the other things. Yeah. I mean, it was unfortunate how they kind of tried to, you know, Hey, we laid off a bunch of people and then the next day announce a bunch of their plans for the festival to kind of, you know, try to sweep that under the rug and everyone's hurting right now. I I understand. And, and, uh, my family and I know me and you more than anyone wants TIFF to succeed and thrive. So I think having a festival this year is a, a, a great thing, whether it ends up being all digital, if they can't do physical screenings or, Hey, uh, Ontario just moved into phase three. Um, as we're recording this essentially um saying that you know um gatherings of you know 50 people in buildings and and movie theaters are getting special permissions on how many people they can have in an auditorium which sure we might not totally agree with we'll go into that maybe more in depth on the next draft but um depending on how the next month goes um we might get some sort of you know Frankenstein festival, um, whatever it is like a physical version. I don't know if I'm going to go see anything in person. Um, I know press and industry, um, is going to be, you know, scaled down immensely this year. I know a lot of people and, and friends and critics and colleagues online are a little paranoid of how scaled down that will be. Um, and if I end up getting a press badge for us and and you end up doing industry or we both do whatever we're doing, then great. If not, then I'm sure we'll find, we'll rent a bunch of stuff on their digital platform. And I think I'm most curious to see how that digital platform and how both press and industry or, you know, the public uh, digital aspect of it works. Um, is there going to be a schedule? Will you have to buy a ticket to a showing of a film and actually have to be on your couch at 8 PM on Wednesday evening to watch that film for two and a half hours? Or will you be able to play it at any point? Um, will it be different for press than the public will press just, you know, have the entire lineup there and they can watch them as they please over the 10 days. Uh, will there be a press and industry, kind of screening the same way where you have to be at certain things at certain times and and certain things might get scheduled at the same time and you have to choose one or the other just like it is the normal festival it'll be really interesting to see how um this plays out and um we're entering a new world when it comes to many many things and i don't think this is going to be the new normal for tiff um obviously i think they'd prefer to have you know the regular festival i don't think digital screenings will be a normal thing moving forward unless you know this continues into late next year which i hope not but anyways i i'm rambling now but i'm excited uh cautiously optimistic that this could be fun um i uh it might be nice to just go at it on our own leisure still watch about 50 films or between 30 and 50 films but kind of just from the comfort of our own home but i will miss you know 
the craziness of those 10 days with you waking up at six, seven in the morning, every morning, staying up to see so Manchester deep. by the sea yeah. at, at eight thirty yeah. in the morning. <laughs> yeah. At Scotiabank or some shit like that. Like that's the stuff, the little things are going out for drinks late with Nevis and, um, and staying out. And uh, our anniversary is during TIFF every year we met essentially at TIFF. So it's like, it's very, she worked there for five years. Like this is a very special event. Uh, to me and uh, it's and, personal it's connected to a part yeah. of you as as an individual and in, in, in a relationship it's 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 something that's more than My just career just everything yeah right? yeah and, and, so- and, and it's totally like i totally get where you're coming from and and it's just yeah it's going to be strange because part of the 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 festival experience is getting to see people that you might only see once a year that's and, a great point you know too. get to you know talk to people and 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 people from all over the world like that's the other kind of exciting thing is you get perspectives from people that you know you might not otherwise in you know any other time of the year or also just you know having a conversation with somebody who has a different opinion but it's fun to share and talk and sort of deconstruct what movies are and and just having that experience isn't going to be there that year i mean we'll be saving some money because of you know lodging and commuting and things like that but this festival as as you said is a a a frankenstein styled you know um sort of an adaptation of of what tiff was previously so it's so it'll be interesting as an experiment um but it will also be fascinating to see where this goes from a year or two from now. Cause I know that, you know, listening to other podcasts and, and there was a IndieWire discussion recently uh, with two of the programmers from Sundance and they're already kind of looking to do something similar with having a component of it being digital. Um, but you're having a lot of studios being very apprehensive towards that because they don't want any of their stuff leaking online or, or, or being bootlegged in any way. And which and I that, think that, is inevitable really like, which yeah. is unfortunate, but. And that came up with, with South by Southwest as well. Yeah. I think that's going to be a huge issue. And um, no matter what, I think you're going to have people that will find a way no matter you know what this you know digital platform whatever protections it puts in place for this kind of stuff i mean you you know i mean oscar screeners pop up every single year no matter you know you're sending it to a very quote unquote trustworthy group of people that aren't supposed to be sharing those things and if you just give people an open platform to uh, you know, pay to watch these things. I think people will find a way to record their screen and then crop it or whatever and, and, and put it online. And, um, so I do think like, and once we get into the lineup, which we'll do in a couple seconds, I think that really does affect, like you mentioned studios, uh, giving permission for their films to go into these festivals, especially like, I don't even think with, with nomad, nomad land, nomad land. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know if Searchlight will even let that be available digitally. I could see that being a physical only screening, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I could see that. Like that seems like a, a Disney kind of you know kind of thing to do, right? Where if they go, hey, you can have this, but each of your festivals, there's going to be a drive-in screening for um, LA, right? For 
uh, yes. So, right? so there's going to be one for LA, New York, and uh, yeah, that's. I think that's it. Because yeah, AFI and- as well is coming up in November, and then Sundance in January. So I could see it. It is weird because that movie specifically you already mentioned with Disney and 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 Searchlight being kind of an 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 outlier. But you look at the French Dispatch as well, which is another movie that a lot of people thought maybe could have been playing at the festival because it was a Cannes selection. Um, but it didn't end up showing up anywhere as of yet anyways. I mean, it could still pop up at New York. And they took it off the release calendar, right? Yeah. There's that too. So we, I speculated with you just through text that I could see it getting punched to February where Anderson's had success before, right? And you said it could show up at Berlin or something like that too. Yeah, because Isle of Dogs played there and and he's – has a European sensibility to him to begin with, with a story that is very much European. But then we also don't know where we'll be in February when it comes to uh, the festival situation, because I'm sure maybe things will be a little bit better, but they might be still in a, a phase two to three situation. So who knows? I mean, a lot of festivals that are going to be coming up in the next few months into the next year are also preparing for, you know, a online version of the previous, you know, incarnation of their festivals. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting, man. And I know, uh, I mean, some inside baseball stuff too, from, from our end, there's a lot of times where we would, you know, go to pre-screenings before the festival and things like that. So, um, things could work out and I'm, I'm sure if things have Canadian distribution, we might be able to kind of get some, uh, content out even before the festival or as the festival starts that way too so it should be exciting i don't know i'm it'll be fun uh, i'll be in durham again uh that's my big news i mentioned at the beginning of the episode i'm moving uh to a house back uh on the oshawa whippy border basically right on the border um i'll be uh, eric and i will be neighbors again uh it won't be a pain in the ass for him to come to downtown toronto to record once we're allowed to do so in person or once we feel comfortable doing so in person and then uh closer to landmark whenever we can get back there too. And then it'll be fun during the festival moving forward too. Cause we'll probably, you know, do what we used to do and, and rent a, a place or, or a hotel or depending on if Airbnbs are still okay, then <laughs> if those are still allowed, but um, it'll be fun. I'm excited to see what this festival brings and I, I think we should get into it. You want to get into this lineup and, and chat what movies are coming? I think we got to dig deep, Matt. We got to get into that festival and and see what's there. And and again, I kind of the thing I do like about this crop of movies, just looking from it at, at a, a surface level, is that there is a lot of titles that seem like okay, it, given any other year, a lot of them would get lost in the shuffle with some of the bigger movies. And maybe Agreed. this is a chance for a smaller movie to kind of become a breakout film, and that would be exciting. I think that's an excellent, excellent point. And I think because we don't know what this, you know, award season is going to bring or what, you know, Oscar season even is going to be this year. Cause I, they did extend the deadline till end of February, right? For yes. Film? Yes. Because yeah. the, the Academy awards themselves will not be, uh, sort of going on until April. So it's a much later season and an extended season because of that. So even, um, you know, my group, the, uh, the critics choice, they've moved their voting deadline to, I think it's mid January, uh, now to give more time for, um, you know, critics to catch up and see movies that are going to get released into January. But it is funny, like thinking now it's like, okay, what, what could be nominated for best picture? And there's movies like, 
first cow and never rarely sometimes always that are great indie films but are still not accessible enough so it makes you wonder it's like bad boys for life for best picture right i mean that's the joke right now but it's not too far off right like a jim carrey supporting actor for sonic the hedgehog not well, ewan mcgregor ridiculous. and birds of prey i could see yeah. that happening uh, right now a hundred percent uh i could see that happening so i mean you make a great point with the with the lineup as a whole on a surface level like you mentioned uh maybe there aren't those you know those flashy titles that are on in the gala or special presentations. There's still some interesting stuff there. Um, but like you said, it could be interesting to see if one of these movies, um, you know, is that breakout hit of TIFF and ends up kind of entering maybe the award season that we weren't really expecting before. And oh, maybe some studios pick up some of this stuff. So um, it'll be interesting, but let's start with the galas then. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go through literally every movie like we did last year. Um, last year, we kind of broke it up obviously by when the sections were announced, like Eric said, like we did a bunch of TIFF talks with, you know, galas and special presentations, midnight madness docs, etc. Um, this is just the entire lineup. So what I'll do is we'll start with the quote unquote biggest stuff with gala and special presentations. And we'll just go through every kind of section and I'll give you, you know, the director, uh, what the film is, and kind of the synopsis, and then Eric and I will give our quick thoughts and and say if we're uh, you know excited or looking forward to it or if it sounds interesting. Uh, so let's start off with Gala. So the first film is Francis Lee's Ammonite, um, uh, starring Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan in this raw love story between a, a solitary paleontologist and a wealthy grieving wife in 19th century Dorset. Eric, do you know much about uh, this? Yeah, I do. So uh, Francis Lee, uh, who directed this movie, he directed another film a few years ago, uh, a smaller kind of critically acclaimed love story um, called God's Own Country, right. um, which was kind of a breakthrough uh, film and a really, really solid little movie. I, I think it's on Netflix still. If you, if you uh, have the chance to watch it, I would recommend it. Um, he's very much supportive of the LGBTQ community and wants to tell stories and relationships within um, those confines. And with this story, it sounds really exciting to have two uh, kind of big names take on this um, tragic raw love story. But at the same time, he has gotten a little flack from uh, one of the family estates. I believe it's uh, the character that Saoirse Ronan plays claiming that she was not uh, a lesbian. And so that's kind of been uh, a bit of a controversy stirred. Uh, Neon picked up the movie back oh, in nice. – uh, uh, so at Sundance around Sundance in January. And with that as well, it was one of the films that was going to play uh, as a, a can selection. So it yeah. has that credibility uh, to it as well. But it is also interesting if you, if you have followed uh, Francis Lee on Twitter, um, he has been very uh, forthright about his thoughts of this movie playing digitally uh, at any festival and saying that he does not, uh, endorse it um, in that people should see the film in a theater in the dark with other people. He he is he went off the rails actually when uh, it was being announced at, at playing at TIFF and at um I think it's I think New York has it but there's another festival that does have the movie and it is also worth noting that Neon uh, delayed the um the uh, Pitchapong Verisisaku movie that's coming yeah. out next year, uh, Memoria with Tilda Swinton. So 
I almost feel that maybe he wanted to maybe go in that direction, but hit, like you can go back and look at his tweets and he is kind of almost pissed at this movie playing uh, digitally. So it's, it, that's I guess kind of that's just up to neon, not up to him. Right. So yeah. um, that'll be interesting to see if they kind of listen to him. And I, I, that's, I go back to my point I made earlier. It'll be fascinating to me to see which movies are available digitally and which ones they go, Oh, it's just having a premiere at, you know, socially distanced premiere at Roy Thompson hall or princess of Wales or something like that. Like I, I think there might be some films that aren't available digitally. So um, I think that's quite possible. Um, Maybe that's different for press and industry, but that's always kind of been different for press and industry. So I'm more talking about, you know, the public um, for everyone. Uh, Next film, uh, Halle Berry's, directorial debut i believe in bruised uh so in bruised halle berry um it follows a former mma fighter struggling to regain custody of her son and restart her athletic career um cool uh you know what i i'm down for it um i think we'll we'll see that as a kind of a little bit of a trend here i think we have a few people a few actors making their directorial debuts during the festival um this first one being Halle Berry Eric you excited for Bruised at all um it sounds like a showcase vehicle for Halle Berry specifically as an actor and obviously behind the 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 camera as well as a first time director um it's always interesting to see if a you know a, a an actor that is kind of you know very well known or regarded can take to directing a movie and sort of surprise you in a way that you, you know, weren't thinking of the way that like someone like Ben Affleck did yeah. with, with Argo and, and, and gone baby gone. And this does sound like a smaller, more intimate kind of portrait. So it's not trying to take on, you know, a, a, a wider ranging subject that might be uh, epic in scale. And I kind of like the idea of centering it around, you know, an MMA fighter specifically. There's always something about watching movies about either boxing or, you know, fighting in general that is, is always compelling both, in a sort of theatrical kind of way, but also on a sort of raw and intimate level. I totally agree with that. Uh, next up, Ricky Staub's Concrete Cowboy. While spending the summer in North Philadelphia, a troubled teen is caught between a life of crime and his estranged father's vibrant urban cowboy subculture, starring Idris Elba. Um, I love the imagery that they have here, just Idris Elba in it you know, a jean shirt and his handkerchief and riding a horse. Uh, I don't know much about this either. Um, but you know what? Idris Elba is, I mean, we kind of poke fun of him all the time. I think he's the best actor that consistently chooses bad movies. Um, I hope this is not the case here. Um, I don't know much about Ricky Staub. Do you? As- no, I don't either. So it's, it, that's, that's the exciting thing because again, you know, even with Halle Berry, we're getting to see, you know, new voices that we're not as familiar with sort of take the center stage and have the spotlight on them and get to, you know, experience a new perspective and point of view. And I totally agree with you with the Idris Elba thing where it's like, you know, you always root for the guy because he is such a, an amazing talent. But, you know, since The Wire, he has just picked, you know, one bad movie after another, maybe with the exception of a, co- uh, a couple supporting roles here and there. He's he's great in in Prometheus. And I I think we both enjoy that movie quite a bit. Yeah. Um, 
but a lot of people don't. But yeah, the majority of his films are kind of like big emotional kind of movies that don't really pan out. And, you know, speaking of like, you know, the mountain between us with yeah, him and Kate Winslet, right? We've already got a Kate Winslet movie and now we have an Idris Elba movie. So the mountains between us will continue on in our hearts. Um, <laughs> next up, Spike Lee's David Burns American Utopia. So Spike Lee documents the former talking head frontman's uh, brilliant, timely 2019 Broadway show based on his recent album and tour of the same name. Um, cool. Second Spike Lee film of the year. Uh, always down for that. Um, so is this a, um, this is just like a live recording of the Broadway show? Yeah, I, I would uh, think so, unless there is something that's kind of um, cut throughout, maybe some huh, talking head interviews. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm excited about this because it's such an interesting pairing of of two people. Um, when you think of, of David Byrne, um, in, in terms of his uh, filmography, there are two movies that come up, one obviously being the Jonathan Demme uh, concert doc, Stop Making Sense, which in, in my mind is one of the greatest concert docs ever made. And then also his uh, directorial debut from the 1980s that Criterion released a couple of years ago, uh, starring John Goodman uh, called True Stories. And to have you know Spike Lee, who as a documentary filmmaker, I think is one of the most interesting uh, experimental raconteurs out there. And he's able to kind of bring a style that is so unique to the documentary landscape. When you think of, you know, four little girls or, you know, um, uh, when the levy breaks his, his doc about uh, hurricane Katrina, like he's so provocative with his film. So I'm, I'm excited to see this and this is the opening night movie. And I think it's also worth noting that um, this is the second year in a row that TIFF is premiering a documentary as it's uh opening night movie. The last year being the Robbie Robertson doc uh, once we're brothers. So good point. Um, it's, it is interesting that like, again, like documentary, will have maybe a bigger spotlight than it normally does. So I was saying that at first glance of uh, talking with Nevis about, um, you know, the, the lineup in general, I think the docs stood out to me as being like, Oh, I think they'll have a standout year just because to your point earlier of not having, you know, too many super, super flashy movies. And I just feel like docs are maybe also a bit more open to, you know, playing on a digital platform and just kind of, putting their movies in a festival like this um, or a version of a festival like this. So um, I'm, uh, we'll get into the doc segment soon, but a good way to kick off with the David Byrne opening night uh, movie. Well, and, and to your point, I mean, a lot of people during, you know, the pandemic have been watching more documentaries on Netflix, like the last dance and uh, tiger King. So I think people are hungry for nonfiction and specifically, or even Hamilton. I mean, like, look at yeah. what's, audiences are watching right now and it seems like documentary has really kind of found you know a new niche in, in, in a way which is really great because documentary usually is kind of put to the not side when it comes yeah not a, <laughs> not a real movie yeah uh no i'm excited for the docs this year uh next up uh ronaldo marcus green's good joe bell so the oscar-winning writers of brokeback mountain tell the true story of a father's walk across the u.s to raise awareness about the harms of bullying starring mark Wahlberg with a interesting beard on the photo <laughs> um don't know much about about this either um 
obviously talented writers with the writers of Brokeback Mountain. Um, sounds a lot like uh, what's it called? Um, Reese Witherspoon movie. Wild. Wild a little bit. A lot of walking and wild, you know, walking across the U.S. This is um, a, a very uh, tragic story. Oh, and okay. It's interesting because this is one that has been in the in the works for a while now. It was originally at A24 with Kerry Fukunaga, who was going oh, wow, to direct okay. the film. And it was going to be more of a story, like a two-hander, where this seems to be focusing on the father and what the story is is that his son was uh, was gay and bullied to the point where he committed suicide and the father's guilt because he didn't support his son and didn't recognize that his son you know was was gay and the regret and and you know just complete despair that he had he goes on this cross country road trip talking to anybody who will listen to say like you know don't you know, let someone that's close to you get bullied for being different or somebody, you know, support them for who they are. And the sad part about this story is during that trip, it, he's killed in, in a, uh, uh, an accident, uh, a truck hits, uh, uh, Joe Bell, uh, oh, in, wow. in real life. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty tragic story, I guess on a lighter note, if I were to segue a little bit, um, Larry McMurtry and, Diana Osana, who wrote um, uh, the script, who are the the writers for Brokeback Mountain, if you watch them uh, accept the Oscar for uh, Best uh, Adapted Screenplay, Larry McMurtry is one of the few people who wore jeans to the Academy Awards. Amazing. Good for him. I already love it. Um, Ironic, though, with Wahlberg playing the guy, a dude that was, you know, arrested for... uh (laughs) Assault, whole, yeah, because he, yeah, he, he assaulted a, a, an Asian yeah. man, um, and and maybe this is a, a perfect you know role for him to show maybe, a different yeah. side. And and Ronaldo Marcus Green, I mean, he did a film a few years ago that played at TIFF, um, Monsters and Men, with uh, John David Washington. That I uh, you right, saw, I believe, right, right, um, yeah, during was, the festival. It was okay. Yeah, I, I and mean, he, I, and he's already working on another movie as well with uh, Will Smith that he's, I think somewhere in in production still which is about uh uh serena and venus williams father um right uh, yep. king richard yeah um cool good for him on the up and up i'm i'm curious i i that story sounds horrible but like in a heartbreaking way but um definitely see uh, interested to see how that plays out um next up uh jay blakeson's i care a lot uh, a legal uh, conservator, uh, Roseman Pike, who defrauds elderly clients, runs out of, uh, afoul of gangster of a sorry. Let me a legal conservator, Roseman Pike, who defrauds elderly clients, runs afoul of a gangster, Peter Dinklage, in this drawl thriller from Jay Blakeson. Um, okay, you know Peter Dinklage is a gangster, Roseman Pike. I'm in. There's another actor who since impressing so many people with gone girl has, you know, been in a lot of crap. Uh, Rosamund Pike, who is great, has picked a lot of movies, not necessarily her performance, just the films themselves are centered around here. Haven't been as strong. Um, What is worth noting here 
is that the director also did a movie a um, back, I think, in 2010 called The Disappearance of Alice Creed with yeah. Gemma Arterton, which was Gemma a kidnap Arterton. thriller that basically kind of pitted these two guys, you know, kidnapping this young British woman and them debating what to do afterwards. Um, I didn't love that film, and it felt like it was more clever than it thought it was, especially when it came to um, certain twists with the movie. But... I mean, it, it could be a fun little kind of uh, sort of genre film and, and Elevation Pictures has it here in Canada. So it'll be interesting to see um, what becomes of this one. Cool. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, we have Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. So Francis, Francis McDormand explores the vast landscape of the American West and Chloe Zhao's wise and intimate portrayal of life as a modern day nomad. Um, so this is a kind of one of the big centerpiece films I'd say of, you know, the fall festival lineup. It seems like, you know, searchlight is, uh, uh, interestingly uh, putting a lot behind it by letting it play, you know, TIFF, New York, Telluride or not Telluride. It's like a Telluride, um, sponsored drive-in, um, screening, I believe. Right. That's what we were mentioning earlier. Um, yeah. So it's and it's going to be the centerpiece of the New York Film Festival, and it seems like, I mean, not a a, a big flashy movie by any means, but um, seems like it's that you know one you know, I, it's weird calling Searchlight an indie studio still, but like that one um, kind of smaller big movie, if that makes sense, that's playing a lot of the festivals this year. Yeah, and I guess Searchlight is looking at this one, you know, two ways, and this is again just you know, looking at this in terms of how they're playing this film, one, they really believe in it and they're putting effort into screening it as much as possible to build word of mouth because Chloe Zhao is still someone that isn't as well known outside of the indie scene. And I mean, with the writer, you know, a lot of people, you know, started paying attention, but because she was attached and has directed the Eternals, it really is almost like this weird marketing tool that it's almost like okay well nomadland's coming out in 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 the festival season but also eternals will be coming soon afterwards so you're getting this one two punch and showing you know a variety eclectic nature of what this filmmaker can do and you have francis mcdormand who i i guess they are kind of positioning her for oscar number three with this movie so you know a smaller film like this needs some sort of support festival wise or or to build where you know, like the French Dispatch, you can just release that anytime and people will go and see it and, and want to see it just based on the name recognition itself. Yeah, that's a great point. I think they probably do really believe in this and um, and probably needs the platform more than anything else uh, that Searchlight has in its lineup. Um I'm excited for it. I mean, love Francis McDormand. Uh, I still need to watch the writer. I'm curious about Eternals. So um, I do kind of want to catch up with her, her previous movie and, uh, and, and get ready for Eternals. So yeah, I think it's a good get for all of the festivals. And I guess that's the one thing I've noticed like from that, we didn't know what they meant by, Hey, we're sharing everything this year. And then Nomadland seemed like the one big thing where we were like, yeah, this is the movie that, you know, searchlights giving all of us so um again interesting i uh i i'd be curious to see if it ends up being able like to stream or if it's only a physical screening i'll, I'll be curious right um 
Next up, uh, Regina King's One Night in Miami. So actor-director Regina King's feature directorial debut based on Kemp Powers' play is a fictionalized account of a 1964 meeting between Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown. So uh, again, continuing that trend of actors making their directorial debut, um, which I think will be one of the themes of this festival. Um, we got Regina King directing uh, One Night in Miami. Um, this sounds awesome. I'm I'm totally down for this. Uh, first of all, Kemp Powers, amazing name. Uh, secondly, Regina King right now is on this incredible role with yeah. winning an Oscar for If Beale Street Could Talk, which played at TIFF, and then you know giving an another amazing performance as Sister Knight in Watchmen, and Probably now she's making Emmy her there too. Yeah, and now she's making her directorial debut, which was just picked up by Amazon as we were setting up to record. Oh, so, nice. She's doing well, and uh, she's she's amazing. So I'm excited to see uh, her directorial uh, debut. And it's it seems like an interesting premise, even though it is a fictionalized account. But to have these kind of different personalities all transpire over one evening, I kind of love those concepts for movies. And it makes sense coming from like a you know a stage to screen adaptation that you could do something like this, you know, as a first time filmmaker and really get great performances and just an interesting sort of conversation started with these key figures at a certain time in their life. I totally agree. And then our last gala of TIFF 2020, um, oh God, I'm going to butcher this, uh, this person's name, Cornell Mundrusko. I don't know. It's, I think it's Polish, right? Or something like that. Um, the director of White God. Uh, so Vanessa Which Kirby is the dog and, movie. Yes, uh, which I saw at Lightbox in 2014. We saw it together, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf star as a couple reeling in very different ways from tragedy in a new film from the director of White God. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, remember last year, I got a lot of like Alex and other people messaging us being like, please don't don't ever read people's names ever again. You know um, what, though, Matt, you try. And that's the thing that's important. Yeah, you're you're going to butcher the name just because they're not names that are that are common for us to pronounce. But giving it a shot. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't, you know, they would just say the director from White God. At least you tried. I mean, that's the main I tried thing. once. Uh, I thought White God was interesting. I don't remember a ton of of it but um i i'm definitely curious to see is this his follow-up or has he done another film since? no he did another movie that played at can the year i think it it was something called jupiter's i'm gonna look this up but oh, it, right. it played at yeah. can and will smith was the one person in the can film festival jury that really really liked it he was talking about like why isn't anybody considering this for the palm door and everybody was like will come on um and it never i don't think it actually got a theatrical release of any kind um outside of 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 europe um i'm just looking it up now but it's also worth noting that it is a canadian co-production it's shot in montreal and the supporting cast includes benny safty one half of the safty brothers hell yeah i'm definitely down i'm in uh, I actually really like the booth lately as an actor and um, I, I love Vanessa Kirby. So I'm, I'm a thousand percent in Jupiter's moon is the name of the film. Right, 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 right. 
Cool. I wanted Not- to say Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different film. Uh, moving on to a special presentation. So we have two, four, six, seven films in the special presentation lineup. Feels so weird. Um, first off, we have Thomas Vinterberg's Another Round with Mads Mikkelsen. So director Thomas Vinterberg and actor Mads Mikkelsen reunite for Another Round, a sobering comedy about aging, alcoholism, and friendship between men. All right. <laughs> The trailer is out if you want to watch okay. it, and cool. it is—it's kind of interesting because it's also again Vinterberg and uh, Mads reteaming. Uh, they worked together on the Hunt, the uh, Hunt, right? Yeah. A few years ago, where he's accused of pedophilia, and the town around him kind of, you know, tries to cast him out. Um, another round is the, these kind of academics all getting together and deciding okay let's see if we can function as alcoholics in our day-to-day life and that's kind of what the trailer is it it, it, that was another can movie as well uh, another can selection a lot of people seem to think that mads is is uh awards worthy so it'll be exciting just to see what he can do i wasn't as hot on uh the hunt as some people yeah i liked it quite a bit but i understand i think you were yeah in the kind of the minority there a little bit um, but that's I I, I re- don't remember much of it. I remember seeing it at TIFF and thinking it was good, but I didn't really think about it uh, after that. I, but I know some people do really love it. Um, next up, uh, Vigo Mortensen's Falling. So in his feature directorial debut, Vigo Mortensen stars as a gay man on a patient's testing mission to care for his ailing solitary and conservative father played by lance hendrickson um love lance hendrickson yeah same and uh i love vigo um so again the third actor uh turned director uh for the their debut at this festival so the trend continues like i mentioned um this also uh played at sundance and did not get uh rave reviews in oh, fact yeah? it's okay. one of the only movies that has not been picked up by uh by a distributor mongrel media has it in canada but they picked it up at script stage so like it's been looking for american distribution since then um vigo shot most of it uh on the danforth actually so yeah because it has a little canadian flag meaning it had it's some can con so if the reviews weren't great at a sundance i'm assuming it's here because it's can con but yeah uh, We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. if uh, Were the reviews horrible or just kind of middling? Well, some people liked it. I think one of the film critics from Variety praised it. Um, but other than that, yeah, it was middling. But it also got accepted not into the, the main competition of Cannes, but Cannes um, Fortnite, which was kind of surprising. Like a lot of people were, were taken aback by that. Um, David Cronenberg has a small role in the movie as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see you know, Vigo Mortensen, who's very much seems almost like an honorary Canadian at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, his directorial debut, I'm, I'm, I'm not going in, you know, with a bias thinking like, Oh, because you know, these people saw it, they didn't like it, but of course, it's yeah. interesting to, to take that as, as a note, especially because that does not have distribution, like even a smaller company you would think would have picked it up by now. Yeah. Um, next up, uh, Glendon Ivins, uh, Penguin Bloom. Naomi Watts stars in this true story about a paralyzed woman who finds new hope when she joins with her family to take care for 
uh, oh, sorry, that sentence sounded weird. Uh, who finds new hope when she joins with her family to care for an injured baby magpie. Um, it, that read really weird, but I think you get the point. Um, what is a magpie? Am I a bird? <laughs> is it? Is it? Yeah. Well, it's the bird that's on the uh, that's on her shoulder right. in the in the photo. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Good point, Eric. Thank you. <laughs> I, you know what? I didn't know that that was a bird <laughs> until right now. Um, I thought it was like a like a pillow. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, sure. Do you know this director or no? No, it, to me, this basically reads and looks like, you know, just again, from first glance, like one of those like Dodo videos that yeah. is like, you know, maybe five minutes long. And it's like kind of a feel good inspirational piece about someone finding an animal left on the side of the road and then, you know, nurturing it and nursing it back to health. It kind of sounds almost like, you know, something like that. But who knows? Kind of I mean, I, I'm, like- yeah, it, it sounds to me or at least reads like a crowd pleaser. Um, I'm still laughing because Nevis just texted me. I thought a magpie was a pillow. <laughs> like I, I kind of did in the photo. I just didn't see the beak. It just looked like a black mass. Um, next up. Uh, <laughs> it's a David Lynch character just hanging out on her yeah. shoulder. Uh, Francis uh, Ozon's Summer of 85. This gorgeous 1980s period piece from Francois, I said Francis, Francois Ozon um, looks at the fateful friendship and love affair between two teenage boys on the Normandy coast. Um, there's a trailer for this as well that you guys. Yes, saw. and it was another uh, can selection. Um, uh, Francois Ozon is a very prolific filmmaker and usually is releasing at least one or two movies uh, every couple of years. Um, so we'll see with this. I mean, it it, it doesn't look awful. It, it has that coming of age, you know storyline that's very familiar so maybe that'll be accessible and popular to a lot of people but there was a film that he did just a couple years ago um that was so bizarre it wasn't a great movie but it had this amazing opening shot i think it was called double uh trouble or it was double something Uh, i'm just looking it up now because i only remember the french title um but it, yeah, he's one of those guys that always comes to the festival. He's he's yeah. a filmmaker that's kind of synonymous with festivals in general. He's never really had kind of a, a breakout hit, but he's highly regarded amongst you know his peers and other filmmakers. Absolutely. Um, are you just looking for that thing, or do you want me to move on? Yeah. So, Young and Beautiful was, I think, one that we saw together. Yes. Uh, swimming pool is probably his biggest movie, but I'm looking for what the, I think I really liked young and beautiful. Double love. Double love is the name of the movie. It's, it's bizarre. Okay. I I can't remember if I, did I like young and beautiful? I think I did. Um, but I, I don't, don't hold me to that. I'm sure the reviews out there somewhere. Um, Next up, uh, oh gosh, uh, Shaitanya's T- Tamhain's The Disciple. Um, Nailed it. Shaitanya Tamhain's masterfully composed second feature examines a lifetime journey devoted to the art of Indian classical music. Cool. Sounds like another crowd pleaser. Uh, could be a, a breakout film at the fest. 
Uh, next up, Florian Zeller's The Father. Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman star in Florian Zeller's Zeller's <laughs> Canadian Inside. If you're Canadian, you know what Zeller's is. Florian Zeller's in- <laughs> ingenious, subtly hallucinatory chamber drama about a man's slide into dementia. Um, cool. Yeah, so this was picked up uh, at Sundance uh, by Sony Pictures Classic. Got great reviews. Apparently, Anthony Hopkins is a shoe in for Best Actor if uh, the film gets any kind of release this year or into early next year before the deadline. Uh, yeah, Olivia Coleman uh, has uh, is the co lead. Imogene Poots has a supporting role. Uh, very excited about this. Um, just disappointed that uh, the director's name isn't Florian Byways. <laughs> ah, there's another great Canadian department store joke. Um, Sorry, who did you say picked this up? Sony Pictures Classics. Right on. Elevation Pictures has it in uh, in Canada. Sounds great. Excited. Uh, and then uh, finally, our last special presentation, Aza Ga Kuru's True Mothers. The latest from acclaimed director. Uh, sorry, did I say? I said the... <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Naomi (laughs) Kawase's True Mothers. I said I tried to pronounce the title in its uh, in in Japanese, which I probably also butchered. So I apologize. The latest from acclaimed director Naomi Kawase, candid force in contemporary Japanese cinema, is a touching family story of love and adoption. Sorry, they put the translation right under the title, and I got confused for the director's name. Um, Cool. Yeah, I, I don't well. have a lot to say with this other than again, it's another uh can selection. So that you know, take take that as you will. Um, it seems exciting. And and again, this is a kind of movie that might benefit from this year getting more of a spotlight shone on it, and maybe more people will become familiar with the the director's work. I'm I'm looking at her her filmography right now. The only thing I've I've heard of is still the water which was a 2014 release cool uh let's move on to let's do midnight madness a program that we're always excited for Um, and we have something to talk about yes so So we might as well go right into that so um there's only three films in midnight madness this year i believe they're play playing at drive-ins um uh, from what I understand. Um, but yeah, let's kick it off with the first one that I know Eric wants to talk about um, and has uh, something to kind of clarify with everyone. So uh, Roseanne uh, Liang's Shadow in the Cloud. So in this film, Chloe Grace Moret stars as a World War II pilot trying to warn her um, obstinate male uh, comrades of a sinister stowaway aboard their flying fortress in a new nightmare at 20,000 feet from Roseanne Liang. Um, Eric, you wanted to talk about this because you sent out a tweet today um, saying, why would TIFF program a Max Landis scripted film? Um, so, I mean, I'll start it off and then you can kind of go into it. So, yes, Max Landis does have a writing credit on the film. However, Eric, you have been chatting with uh, Peter Kaplowski, who is the head programmer for the Midnight Madness program, and you got a little clarification uh, and he sent you an article and to kind of clarify what's happened with the film and Max Landit's credit, correct? 
Yes. Yeah, so um, Peter uh, was kind enough to um, specify what was going on. Um, Peter Koplowski, who is the uh, programmer of Midnight Madness, um, sent me a couple uh, direct messages via uh, Twitter and was, you know, talked to me about, you know, being concerned about that issue specifically, but making sure to say that, you know, the film has been rewritten even though Max's name is still on the movie and he pointed me um to the IndieWire article about this um where Chloe Grace Moretz talks about it a little bit and the article uh is by Zach uh uh Saraf, uh from April 19th uh 2019 um and it's worth reading and checking out Peter also sent me some more information that I can't share at the moment um but i hope to maybe uh or, or we uh hope to maybe talk to him a little bit more in detail um about uh the choices made for the selection and the festival over on in in the coming weeks um but uh thank you very much to peter for sending me that information and being considerate but it was something that when i was looking at that i was kind of s- just stunned for a moment because when you see you know tiff has been always a um you know a a very you know inclusive festival that's about equality and balance and safety within the festival and max landis being who max landis is um especially in the last couple of years with things coming to light I was just taken completely by surprise that a movie with his name attached would play at the festival, even so, you know, with other people being involved and it's not their fault that, you know, this shitty human being had something to do with it, but it was just kind of a bit of a, a a surprise overall. And I'm sure Peter is going to have to field those questions and the director, unfortunately, will have to field those directions over and over again. Um, but I do think it is worth noting, at least just to get that clarification. And Peter was kind enough to uh, share that information. Yeah. So, I mean, that being said, uh, again, don't know much about the movie other than what's shared here, but um I think Midnight Madness will be a fun program at drive-ins and uh, that with only three films this year is, um, is definitely something I'm not used to. Um, next up, sorry, did you have something or no? No, I was just going to say like, that is the other thing about, you know, picking this movie is that there's only three slots and I'm sure Peter, you know, looked at this from a quality point of view first and foremost, and, you know, really liked the film, but it is something that will draw that attention even more so because there is only a, num- a limited number of movies. So that association course, yeah. with this, you know, person who has a, a track record of being again, a horrible person um, yeah. <laughs> will stand out, especially in that category. Yeah. You hate giving a spotlight to someone who, you know, with that history, but We'll hopefully hear more about it and um and more about go- the movie and the director and and, yes. and things like that. And know? go check out that article that Eric mentioned as well. Uh so next up we have I Fan Wang's Get the Hell Out. So in this gonzo martial arts infused horror comedy, Taiwan's parliament turns deadly when a virus transforms politicians into ravenous zombie mutants. Cool. There's a trailer out for this as well that you guys can check An out. An allegory for our times, Matt. 
Um, this sounds like your classic Midnight Madness kind of movie, and it will be interesting to see a Midnight Madness, you know, selection play, you know, in the comfort of your own home because part of again the festival experience is going to one of these movies at the Ryerson Theater right before midnight and having you know that atmospheric feeling shared with the other audience members that you know you're really excited and and you know midnight madness audiences probably are are some of the best uh maybe too enthusiastic for some movies yeah, but yeah, at the yeah. same time like you really get the the you know the experience and and the sincere sensation of what it's like to enjoy you know a genre movie and this kind of feels like that would be a perfect movie to watch with a large group of people in any other year well i think that's why the drive-in screenings are probably going to be a blast if anything the the midnight movies at the drive-in um if that all pans out um which i think it will um i think could be a blast right because that way you can all safe safely socially distance you can kind of be in your cars you can you know kind of sit on the front of your cars if you want for the pre-show as i'm sure peter will pump through great music and there'll be beach ball or maybe not beach balls because you don't want to be damn there won't be beach balls because <laughs> that's probably not a great idea um no but yeah i don't know but like honking the horn of your car things like that like things that would annoy you during most things but i think that's what midnight madness crowds are best for um and i think those screenings will be memorable and i think they will be a blast so a movie like this i think will still be a a ton of fun even though we can't be at the ryerson for that midnight showing i think wherever they end up doing these um these drive-in screenings, whether it's at that Oakville one where they did the um, the Jay Baruchel um, uh, premiere the other night at the of uh, random acts of violence, yeah. um, which looked awesome. Like I was looking at photos on Instagram, and I'm like, that's such a great like those those types of movies are so perfect for that. Um, and I I really I wish there were more Midnight Madness movies in the lineup because I think the drive-in stuff is the stuff. If I'm going to go see anything physically it's probably going to be a drive-in screening. Like, I don't think I'll end up going to, you know, Princess of Wales or one of the big premieres this year. Um, But if I can borrow a car or maybe, you know, I go with you, Eric, or something like that, like we maybe drive down and go see one of the drive-in movies. I think that could be a blast, right? Um, It was interesting getting that email the other day of like the first press screening at a drive-in theater. Um, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. it came through a, a press screening at a drive-in theater. Um, I didn't end up going because we don't have a car, but I think it would have been a blast. And they've been doing that though a lot in the U.S., specifically in L.A. So IFC um, has been premiering or at least screening a lot of their films for press at drive-in. So movies like The Wretched and Relic have been playing at the festival. And the main complaint that always comes up is that the this it's too dark. You can't see anything yeah it's i love the drive-in but because you usually start it around dusk it takes up until you know it's completely dark out for you to even be able to see it and if it's a dark movie then you're struggling And, and a lot of times you see horror movies and different things like that and i'm sure the projectors aren't really you know kept up and and with the brightest bulbs and things like that. But I'm sure during the festival, they'll optimize it. They're always really, really good at that kind of stuff. So, um, and it will be probably like 1130 when like, you know, the, Oh, it is dark as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Begin. Uh, in the last midnight madness film, um, we have Madeline Sims fewer and dusty, uh, Mancinelli's 
violation. Uh, so in Madeline Sims, fewer and Dusty Mancinelli's um, deeply. Sorry, I'm not laughing at your name. I think it's an awesome name. Dusty Mancinelli is a great name. Uh, deeply disturbing debut feature. A traumatic betrayal drives a woman towards a vengeful extremity um, or extremity. Um, cool. Looks like. Can yeah, see, Todd. this is. Yeah, this is another movie that could surprise because if there's one thing that Canadian films are excellent at usually it's genre filmmaking. Um, and when it comes to people like, you know, David Cronenberg, we always think of like genre first and foremost, um, especially when we're exporting it to other countries. But this is another movie where like I was looking at this and then I was looking at, you know, shadow in the cloud and I was like, again, I kind of felt icky that those two movies were in the same category and in the same festival because of the nature of what violation is the subject matter, at least what the premise is. And then, you know, shadow in the cloud being associated with, you know, a, a sexual uh, abuser and, 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 you know, somebody that is, again, has a track record. So, yeah. And that is your Midnight Madness lineup. All right, let's move on to... I think we're getting long in the tooth here, so let's pick a couple more programs to go in depth in, and then we'll kind of just speed round um, you know, the rest of them. Not to say that they're smaller, um, but I, you know, I don't think we need to go over every film. Let's go into docs now, Eric, because I know you're a big doc guy. Yes. Um, so first up, How Wu, Anonymous, and Wexi Chen's 76 Days. So raw and intimate, intimate, this documentary captures the struggles of patients and frontline medical professionals battling the COVID-19 pandemic in Wuhan. Wow, I did not realize that. <laughs> this is probably going to be, I mean, it is going to be topical during the festival, but it also might be one of the hardest watches because it's going on right now. And I find like any news that I hear with, um, you know, at least fictional narratives trying to tackle uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit because I, I don't, agree. Yeah. I don't want to watch something like that right now because we're living it. Yeah. Like give maybe in 10 years or something, but, but this might be interesting just from the point of view of how this virus originated and how it got out of control. So maybe it'll shed some interesting light on the subject. So it, it, it could be very much worth, you know, checking out, but I can see a lot of people being a little bit apprehensive towards it because of the topical nature of what is being presented in the doc. Yeah. And even the state of this festival because of the, you know, what's going on. It's so, just too real. It you is know? too real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up, Frederick Wiseman's city hall. So master documentarian, Frederick Wiseman delivers an epic look at Boston city's Boston's city government covering racial, racial justice, housing, climate action, and more. Cool. I love his films. Yeah. The only thing is they're usually three to six hours long. Oh boy. Because they explore the institution completely, going, you know, thoroughly into every aspect of 272 you know, the, minutes. Yeah, into the job. <laughs> but but I know a lot of people will probably avoid it or, or try to get a, a screener link of it earlier on. But his movies, why I love them so much is they're observational in that we watch people in their 
you know, environment, especially whether it be work or, you know, their day-to-day life. And he's so sort of unintrusive when it comes to exploring these institutions and just letting the person kind of naturally go about their business and watching people work in documentaries is one of those sweet spots that I always love. And whether it be, you know, museums in Europe or libraries in, in America, he always brings a certain point of view and perspective that's dry, but at the same time you're engaged by it. And again, this is probably going to be really dry and really mundane, but it's still probably worth checking out, even if it's outside of the festival when it screens on PBS or through yeah. his website, because a lot of his stuff you can get or you can only get through his his website. Yeah, probably hard to sell a five hour documentary about, you know, the Boston <laughs> government. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised they don't turn them into miniseries, but that's probably just not his style, right? Like he probably just no, makes no. features. Yeah. Um, next up, Sonia Ken. Kennebec's Enemies of the State. So an American family seeks refuge in Canada after their hacker son is targeted by the U.S. government in Sonia Kennebec's bizarre story of secrets and lies. This sounds really intriguing. This is one that when I was reading that synopsis, I was kind of like, I'm going to put this in my top 10 of movies to kind of check out that I would really want to make an effort to see um, at some point because it does sound idiosyncratic with the characters in the storyline and it almost kind of feels like it could be a really good procedural but also mixed with cinematic elements i totally agree with that it reminds me a little bit of that movie you love with the imposter and like yes um it kind of gives me that vibe even from the imagery that they share in the um in the tiff website um yeah i'm totally intrigued by that that sounds awesome um Next up, Werner Herzog and Clive Oppenheimer's Fireball, Visitors from Darker Worlds. So Werner Herzog and Clive Oppenheimer uh, from Into the Inferno, uh, or that's what they list here as the credit, uh, undertake a globe-trotting exploration of meteors that fell to Earth, both ancient and recent. Love it. You know, I'll listen Werner to Werner Herzog, Herzog and meteors? Yeah. I'm there. Yeah, I'm definitely in. That's all you needed to say. Um, next up, Inconvenient Indian, uh, by Michelle Latimer, or, uh, sorry, I was going to say Latimer, but it's Latimer probably. Michelle Latimer's affecting adaptation of Thomas King's award-winning book explores the cultural colonization of indigenous peoples in North America. Uh, super important topic. I think probably going to be a very powerful movie. I would agree. And also it is a Canadian production, so it will probably also specifically be on, you know, Canada's treatment of indigenous cultures and people. So um, always worth uh, noting and recognizing, um, you know, the indigenous uh, cultures. So it's it's important for a movie like this to be at the festival. And again, it could get more attention this time around because... Because of the smaller lineup. It's yeah. a smaller... Yeah. So... I'm. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, next up, Maya Zaid's uh, Lift Like a Girl. So Lift Like a Girl is an intimate journey into the inner life of an aspiring athlete. All right. Very simple. Uh, yeah, to the point. Uh, log line. Again, like Tom Powers, who's the main programmer, he he has a very eclectic mix of of choices. So even though that does sound very simple and easy, like I'm sure there is 
a more lot to more it. to yeah. it than than what is being described. Oh, of course, because again, yeah. like it's playing TIFF, right? Like I, I, as much as I love hot dogs, hot dogs is a festival geared to documentaries, so you're going to get a wider variety in quality and quantity. Where you know, especially any year, but this year specifically, you're going to have. Uh, a smaller group that has to be, you know, the best of the best in what represents documentary filmmaking. Um, next up, uh, Sam Pollard's MLK FBI. So based on newly declassified files, Sam Pollard's resonant film explores the U S government's surveillance and harassment of Martin Luther King jr. This also sounds like a really important subject, and I'm curious to see how the film will be put together. Will it be archival footage? Will it be testimonials? Um, What information will this expose to the rest of of the world that we might not know? Because, um, you know, the FBI at that point when, when Martin Luther King Jr. was still alive was spying on his personal life and documentary, uh, documenting his uh, affairs and trying to sabotage um, his political and and protest uh, leanings because of that. So, um, you know, J. Edgar Hoover specifically had this weird sort of um, vendetta against him specifically. So it'll be interesting to see what those files say. Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued. Um, next up, uh, Aisling Chin Yi and Chase Joints, No Ordinary Man. So the legacy of uh, Billy Tipton, a 20th century American jazz musician and trans icon, is brought to life by a diverse group of contemporary trans artists. Fantastic. Yeah. So that sounds cool. Definitely in. Um, and then finally, the last doc in the lineup is Joel Backen and Jennifer Abbott's uh, The New Corporation, The Unfortunately Necessary Sequel. So the sequel to The Corporation exposes how companies are uh, desperately rebranding as socially responsible and how that threatens democratic freedoms. Oh, God. I remember watching The Corporation in high school. And while it's an important documentary, it is super dry. Like, it's one of those talking head docs where you have Noam Chomsky coming on and talking about why corporations threaten Capitalism you know, American awful. individuality yeah. and things like that. And and I, I, I agree with a lot of it. It's just the way it's presented. It's like, okay, I'm. this is basically like eating your vegetables. Yeah. Um, any other... Uh, program you want to go more in depth or do you want to kind of just rapid fire you know the rest of them yeah i think rapid fire the rest of them is is probably the best way to go but i was just looking at like some of the things i wrote down um in discovery uh limbo kind of sounds interesting about a syrian uh uh, asylum seeker uh in scotland uh directed by uh ben uh that kind of seems like something uh wildfire which is also in the discovery section by uh first-time filmmaker uh kathy uh brady um which is about two sisters kind of dealing with a traumatic past uh living i think in the uk because it's a, a uk irish production um that kind of seemed kind of interesting um Looking at the primetime section, you have Miranera's A Suitable Boy, 
um, the HBO uh, miniseries uh, The Third Day, which is from two perspectives. It's kind of an anthology thing with Jude Law and Naomi Harris. Uh, and then you have a Canadian production um, about an indigenous teen um, called Trickster, uh, sort of living and supporting his family. So movies like that were kind of movies and shows were like that were kind of uh, interesting and stuck out. But also that's not there that I, I completely forgot to mention is platform. There's no platform this year. Right. Uh, programming. Yeah, that is interesting. You think you still could have probably gotten a jury together and still maybe they didn't have enough to put together a program. I don't know. Or maybe it's just logistically didn't make sense. But yeah, no platform this year. That's a good uh, a good point. Um, all right, let's rapid fire through. Um, I haven't made any notes because I just haven't had time to look through the lineup yet. So um but thank you, Eric, for that. Let's go through um, the rest of the categories, and I'll just run through the director. And um, or actually, I'm just going to read you the titles of the films because that way we can just fly <laughs> through that. Um, no offense, we'll go through. You know, over the next couple of weeks leading into the festival throughout August, I'm sure there'll be plenty of TIFF talk. Um, we'll probably do a full festival preview once we know our plans, and we'll share that with you guys and things like that. But for now, and review uh, roundups as well, yeah. right? Like we'll give spotlights to those movies once we've seen them and have more context to actually discuss them. Agreed. So I think the plan is pretty much the same as last year. It'll be a little bit different because Eric and I won't have to run around to 85 different, um, you know, cinemas each day, but, um, we do plan on, I will get into this at the end of the show. Let's get through the movies and then we'll kind of talk about that stuff. So for contemporary yeah. world cinema, we have Bandar band, new order, night of the Kings preparations to be together for an unknown period of time. Uh, Covadas uh, Ada and Under the Open Sky for Discovery. Eric mentioned a few already, but we have 180 degree rule. We have Beans. We have Beginning. We have Gaza Monamur. Um, we have Limbo, Memory House, Shiva Baby, Spring Blossom, The Best is Yet to Come, and Wildfire. Uh, for masters, we have Noturno, only one film. Um, Primetime, Eric mentioned them, but we have A Suitable Boy, The Third Day, and Trickster. Um, and then for Wavelengths, we have Fauna and The Inheritance. There's also a TIFF Next Wave uh, category, but it kind of, you know, they put the TIFF Next Wave stamp on a bunch of films that are in other categories. So for next wave, we have beans, concrete cowboy, inconvenient Indian lift, like a girl and Shiva baby. And that is your TIFF 2020 lineup. Um, 50 films, Eric, that is usually what you see in one festival is your plan. This I'm breaking this news is your plan to try and see every single film that's playing TIFF this year. Well, it it all depends on city hall in terms of scheduling. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and again, I, I mean, I'm, I'm up to the challenge. I'm up for it. Um, but it's all about scheduling and timing. And even though, yes, it is a, a reduced, um, program overall in each category. And it, it probably is maybe feasible, but, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where, like, I look at the the um, the TV productions as well in prime time. Like, how long is each episode going to be? And 
you know, are some of these movies only going to be screening at the venue? You know, is No Man yeah. Land going to be a film that you can only see if you go to whatever theater will be playing it possibly? So those factors are also important to consider. Um, will I try? Yes, because I'm an absolute sadist madman that just punishes himself to watch everything but enjoys it at the same time because you know you want to get a well-rounded sort of point of view of world cinema uh as it is and that's what tiff works best as and functions as is a way to bring the world to you um I am also interested just to to figure out like how we're going to be watching these movies if we can yeah. even watch some of them together you know like yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like, uh, I, that's my biggest question. So this whole thing was very, we talked for an hour and 20 minutes and, uh, it brought a sense of normalcy a little bit to the whole thing. Cause I mean, we do this every year and while the lineup is much different and there are me- much less films, uh, just talking with you about TIFF and about TIFF films got me, you know, it, it it's, it's this warm, fuzzy feeling, right? Like I, I, it is really my favorite thing to do every single year. So, um, this felt normal, even though it's anything but normal. And, um, when it comes to that, yeah, like I, I don't think I, you usually see about 40 to 50 films every year, sometimes a little bit more even, but um, I do see some stuff in August as well. So like I, I have I'm a sure starting point we'll where it's too. Yeah, but but again, who knows? I mean, that's going to be interesting as well where, you know, will the American or international studios, you know, be collaborating with the Canadian distributors in the same way and have, you know, whether they be time sensitive screenings for Canadian press to watch stuff early on or if we do get links to certain films beforehand. But I also am excited about that because we could be covering some stuff that in any other year might get lost in the shuffle. So we might be able to give a spotlight to something that is really worthy of that, that again, might not have any buzz going into the festival. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think my biggest question moving forward is what movies are going to play physical only? um, And how is the digital platform going to work? Is there going to be a schedule just like there is normally, will t- will we still have Tiffer this year and things like that where you actually have to plan out your screenings? Or is it going to be this movie's available for these three days, this movie's available for these three days. Once you rent it, you have access to it at any point for that time period. Um, or are they? is it going to be a appointment viewing? And I think that's my, um, my biggest question because even for me work-wise, I mean, everyone – who's listening to this probably knows, but like I have a day job. Like um, I usually take time off every single year to do the festival. I use vacation time because I, I, this is my passion. This podcast is my passion. This stuff I do with you, Eric, and in the film community is my passion. And like, I, I don't know. I'm like, do I need to take the time off this year? Can I just, you know, use that vacation elsewhere and just do TIFF, you know, in the evenings? Cause if I can do it on my own time, can I just watch it on my own time? Or will there, there be set screenings that I need to you know, make sure I'm free for? And I'm, I'm sure I'll take the time off anyway because I'll want the time to you know, be able to see as much as possible during you know, every day and, and record with you as well. And like you mentioned, we might be able to you know, even you know, get together in my, you know, my new house and, and watch stuff throughout the entire festival as long as we're you know, safe. And I, I know me and you have been 
basically quarantining this whole time. And as things, you know, we're able to see more and more people. And as long as you're safe, keep wearing a mask, everyone, please. Um, we might be able to kind of chill and, and do TIFF together that way too, which might be exciting. So, um, but I don't know how any of that's going to work, right? Like, um, and what the rules are when it comes to press badges or industry badges or, um, uh, or public screenings and how you're going to rent things. And yeah, like you said, are, are the bigger studios like, a like a searchlight or a neon even to an extent, are they going to be okay with their films playing on the streaming platform or are they going to be the ones where no, our films are going to be premieres at the venues um, and some of the other stuff is going to be on digital. So um, many questions still, what's going to be at the drive-in? Is it only midnight madness or will there be other movies at the drive-in too? So um, I I'm curious. I, I'm, fascinated it's a it's been a wild year um and we're kind of getting back to you know things slowly opening and and getting back to normal life whatever normal life is after this but um yeah it's been fun talking to you and i'm just i'm utterly curious to see how this is all going to pan out yeah it's it's very intriguing and 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 i agree with a lot of what you said i mean there are so many questions that are still unanswered and, you know, in the coming weeks, I'm sure some of those questions will um, be answered or revealed, but I almost feel that, you know, a lot of the festival programmers are in that position as well, where they don't necessarily have something that's, you know, a hundred percent, you know, concrete when it comes to, you know, the venues, because, like what's going on now with COVID-19 and the pandemic, it, it it's, it's a day-to-day situation. It's, you know, hourly updates from, you know, the, uh, the Ontario government, um, from the CDC, um, from who, and all of these things come into factors because the idea of phase three, at least in Ontario happening, uh, starting possibly tomorrow as we're recording this, uh, the end of July, you know, is that going to be the same? Are we going to be in that same phase by September the first? You know, so these it are things that we way. Need to we could be in a better position, or we could be in a worse position, right? So, um, I think that's what I is. Yeah, you bring up a great point. Of we're doing very well uh, in Durham and and doing fairly well in in Toronto, so. I don't know. We'll see. It's just, I think phase three, like you said, will be that turning point of, okay, we got this under control or, oh shit, we shouldn't have opened things up. So, cause I feel like a lot of people, myself included, won't be a hundred percent comfortable until a vaccine uh, is available and distributed. And who knows how long that will be. That is probably going to be years, not months until that is sure created and synthesized so you know a lot of people there will be a a group of people that will not be going out but i can see also a lot of younger people right now kind of feeling cooped up thinking like okay well this is the last sort of bit of my summer before going back to school quote unquote whatever that looks like as well and wanting to take to the beaches or patios um in in bigger numbers and this is the same thing with you know cineplex allowing you know what 50 people in in her showing yeah her showing which 
you know, a lot of people right now are cooped up at home and maybe want to have that experience again. We do as well. Matt and I are very much missing the theatrical experience. We're not, you know, saying, you know, the, the, only, the best way to watch a movie is through streaming. It's the best way to watch it right now. And as much as I would love to go and see even something like Unhinged in the theater, that apprehension of going into a movie and sitting in a theater with 50 strangers is something that does not appeal to me. And I still think it's very dangerous, especially because Cineplex and Landmark, I don't want to, you know, completely shit on Cineplex, haven't been, you know, completely adamant with, you know, making masks mandatory. And that's something that and now they're being forced me. in certain areas. But yeah, and being confined in, in, a, in a room that, you know, with the air circulation and, and, you know, pumping in, I, I don't know. We're not health experts, but. I'm just going by the recommendation of the CDC and, and health experts. And if they're signing off on stuff like that, I have to go, okay, well, they know best, I guess. But we've seen things in this in the US obviously not pan out super, super well. And I hope we're a little bit better here. But I, I hope people continue to be responsible so TIFF is able to have these, you know, in-person you know, screenings to keep it a little bit on topic, I guess. But um yeah, I, I'm I'm, I don't know, hearing that Durham only had, you know, one new case in the last week or something like that, like that, those kind of things. And like, I'm going to continue to monitor leading up, I guess, until the release of Tenet is really going to be, you know, the, the testing point, I think for a lot of people. And we'll talk about that, you know, on the next draft, the 73rd draft or was this the 74th yeah. <laughs> so on the 74th draft eric and i will kind of go more in depth about tenant and um cineplex and theaters opening so we'll, we'll save that conversation for then but i think that will be the real test over the next month or so to see how those numbers if they continue to stay down and, and go down then i might be comfortable enough to you know i'll keep my mask on i'm not going to get concession or something like that but I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not comfortable right now. Um, I'm going to play, you know, the waiting game and see how this all pans out over the next month, but you just got to kind of take it day by day. So who knows what TIFF will even look like in a month. And I hope they're able to do the physical screenings. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to be comfortable to go see them. Uh, I probably won't go to a TIFF screening this year, which hurts me deep down at not going to princess of Wales or even Scotiabank. <laughs> Like not being yeah, which could be one of the last years because Scotiabank is also scheduled to be be turned into a series of condominiums. Yeah, as everything is in the city, which is kind of why I'm leaving. Um, still within a very short train ride, which is how Eric gets here, so we'll be in the same boat. Anyways, um, thank you all for listening. Um, I had a blast, Eric. I love talking Tiff with you. Um, no matter what this festival brings, I'm I'm excited for it. Um, our our coverage will be pretty similar. Um, as last year, where Eric and I will probably give you daily roundups of what we watched that day. Um, we'll give you individual reviews. We'll do a preview show. We'll do a post festival show. Um, it really depends on what access we get. If we get, if we have to buy public screenings, um, the coverage might be a little bit different. If we have badges, whatever a badge is, a digital badge, I guess, um, we'll try to cover as much as we can. Um, but we will have TIFF coverage, as you can see, with an hour and a half kind of preview of of the of, of the lineup. So. 
Um, it's our favorite time of the year. We're glad to be doing this with you guys. I hope, uh, I hope even more people are able to experience the festival. That's something we didn't touch on either, but I hope really, you know, people who are never able, weren't ever able to kind of come down to Toronto to experience TIFF. I hope you're able to access some of this stuff in your country. I don't know how that's all going to work out either. Um, but I hope they are able to give it to people in the U S and Europe and all over the place. And we're able to kind of have a even more shared experience with you guys. Cause a lot of the times, um, Eric and I are doing these reviews and and you guys aren't able to see the films until months and months later. So if a lot of this stuff is able to rent on this digital platform in other countries, it's going to get a little confusing based on rights and and how the studios kind of give those out. Um, but I'm hoping you're able to kind of see what that TIFF experience is because I'm assuming they'll still have an intro from Cameron or some of the other programmers through in a, in a digital way um, with Q and A's and different things like that. So um, I hope you're all able to experience TIFF in a little way this year. So I think that's another positive that we never really touched on. So uh, I'm excited. And the fall festival yeah. uh, season in general, because the idea that like, you know, people that might not be able to, cause that's the thing that we don't talk about a lot is that it is, very expensive not only to if you if you buy an industry badge um if you're renting a place through airbnb or through other means fly here having to fly having to pay for food for for uh, a week to two weeks those things all add up and so you know having the chance to watch these movies digitally through P&I screenings in the comfort of your own home, you're saving money, but you're also now opening it up to film critics that might not have a chance otherwise. And now you're getting fresh perspectives and new voices as well, getting a chance to tackle some of these movies, you know, a little bit earlier and getting, you know, a, a wider range of um, criticism. And I think that's really exciting as well. Totally agree. So thank you all for listening. Um, if you like this, we do another podcast called Untitled Movie Reviews, where all of our TIFF roundups were last year. So you can go back and check those out if you want, um, as well as new reviews for uh, we'll have new reviews coming up for American Pickle um, and a bunch of other stuff in the upcoming weeks. So keep it locked on that channel. Um, we'll have the 74th draft coming up, uh, talking everything about Tenant delays of films theaters opening you know our regular regular kind of spiel of what we've been watching and all that will you'll get two episodes this week or kind of this one at the end of this week and another one next week so um keep it uh locked for that um i'm just rambling so thank you all for listening as always my name is matt Rohrbeck. you can follow all of my work over at untitledmoviepodcast.com follow me on all of those social medias at matt Rohrbeck. i'd also love if you guys followed uh this podcast on all those social medias at untitled underscore cast and if you have a spare moment eric and i would really appreciate if you head over to your podcast service of choice and if they offer some sort of rating system um we would love for you guys to give us five stars or 10 out of 10 or whatever it is um it really helps us i saw that spot uh spotify introduced charts if you listen on apple podcast please go subscribe on spotify as well and vice versa um even if you don't listen on those platforms it really helps if we just get you know subscriptions on all those bad boys so i'd really appreciate it i did some arm motions there that only eric saw since this is not a video podcast they were Thank good you. they were good eric take it away yes i'm eric Marchin. you can find more of my uh reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinema scene uh i'm on the social medias at em6211 usually letterbox instagram uh twitter 
um, those various things. Um, and yes, as, as Matt said, please, if you have a moment, we understand that, you know, people are busy right now and have other more important things to do, but, you know, just giving us a, a rating, even if it's not five stars, like it's just something that it gives us an idea of what we can do to, um, you know, continue on and change and evolve, but also, you know, know what you guys like about the show. It's, it's, it's always a great way to, um, better ourselves as, as, as critics and podcasters. So we really appreciate any feedback, uh, that is given. I totally agree, but please five stars, please. I beg of you. <laughs> I'm so hungry. <laughs> um, no, uh, thank you all. Uh, until next time to be continued. <laughs>